You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. This is in Psychedelia on a very sunny Sunday afternoon, right before Christmas, or whatever you, however you happen to celebrate this uh, time off. I hope you do have some time off because it is the perfect time of year for it, uh, in the middle of summer. And um, happy summer solstice as well, which was uh, yesterday or today. I can't remember. Uh, all right, my name is Nick Wallace. Sitting across from me, Ash Blackwell. Ash, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. The solstice was yesterday. It was, I was yesterday. out at Edinburgh Gardens celebrating with friends. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you also to Freedom of Species, who will be back uh, next week um, for, uh, from 1pm. Uh, you can find their program page at 3cr.org.au, where you can also also find their website, subscribe to their podcast. You can do the same within Psychedelia. Um, we have got about four podcasts that will be going up in the next week, um, plus some more from the back catalogue. So uh, if you have been watching, there's a whole bunch going up uh, in our back catalogue from episodes earlier this year and even 2017 as well. There's a lot to get up there. Uh, on the show today. Uh, on the show today, I'm excited about this one. We will be speaking with Jenny Valentich, the author of uh, Woman of Substances, a journalist and, um, uh, yeah, a great writer. So I'm excited about that one. Um, and just a note on that, like when we do come to that interview, when we refer to women, that is trans-inclusive in her book. Um, I don't have it in front of me for the exact wording, but she outlines the, the difference between, um, I think when she refers to females in her book she's referring to trans inclusive people and when she mentions women she's referring to people assigned female at birth or something so along she those like lines define but her terms our, at the start she, she does indeed yeah. but in our conversation just consider that it's an inclusive term um for for our interview coming up um, but before we get into that, um, it is it is just about Christmas. I think before we, we've got a couple of news stories that we might go through, but there's one that I want to reiterate. I was actually hoping to get somebody uh, on again to, to talk this, but in the past couple of years, I've I've spoken to pretty much the same people. Um, but just to remind yourself that there are many reasons for this season. Um, I know the churches like to like to get up their uh, their domination of the reason for this season, but I, I was not brought up with a particularly Jesusy uh, Christmas. My Christmas was most um, Santa um, and 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 sort of a what people think of as a bit of a commercial ca- a capitalist sort of um, um, uh, mythology, um, but I think there is a little bit more to it. And I guess I've been seeking as time has gone by. A lot of people like to like to repeat this this idea that Coca Cola invented the idea of the red and white Santa, which isn't quite true. But as with these things, there's a little element of truth. There's a little element of not truth. Um, Coca Cola certainly popularized and was certainly good at branding. And advertising, uh, and they they pushed a certain concept. But it seems that the idea of the red and white wearing Santa, or um, the, the the sort of bearded man that rides with reindeer, there's a lot of these ideas that come from um, some of the shamanic traditions up very far north. So we're talking in Canada, in Siberia, um, in the, these parts of the world that are. F- 
you know, close to the North Pole, funnily enough, where there are reindeer and where a certain kind of mushroom grows, and that mushroom being the fly agaric or the uh, Amanita muscaria, it's also known as. So that's the red and white polka dot mushroom often associated with the with fairy tales, with um, with Christmas. We do see it associated with as well. And, and the red and white colouring being the colouring of Santa Claus. And uh, it's not the typical psychedelic mushroom that most people are familiar with. It's not the one that, uh, for example, organizations like MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, um, are uh, doing research on. It's not the one that contains psilocybin. Amanita muscaria contains different alkaloids, including uh, muscomol uh, and some other obscure compounds, and they do uh, different things. Um, in fact, uh, it can be very easy for people to be poisoned by these mushrooms, so please don't go out, pick them and eat them, unless you really, really do know what you're doing with these sorts of things. Uh, it's also the wrong time of year in Australia. Uh, for those sorts of mushrooms, all of our all of our celebration of this season is based in uh, earthly celebrations uh, from the northern hemisphere. So we're all back to front here. Hence, happy solstice uh, and um, yeah, no reindeer on mushrooms here. But I thought I'd just like add that in. You, we'll post some links up on Facebook over the next few days. Uh, there are reports with this uh, particular substance of. Uh, people getting uh, feelings of flying and that the reindeer happened to eat these mushrooms and that people worked out that you could drink the urine and <laughs> not all of the active substance is removed um, from the urine by your body. Uh, not all substances are like that. This is um, this just happens to be like that. So there were people in those northern areas, um, sh shaman, drinking reindeer piss to get high. I'll post links about it on, on social media, but, you know, there, there's another Christmas um, myth to throw in, in your collection. Awesome. <laughs> news? Oh, uh, news. A um, couple of news stories? Well, I, I think I might, maybe rather than delving into a couple of specific news stories, um, just mention our new parliament has finally been, you know, kind of finalised. Uh, yeah, All the let's, counting let's has, a little um, bit about that, yeah. has happened. Um, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party has been returned. Um, and um, on her first week, I, did she end up introducing the bill? I know she was planning to introduce a cannabis bill on the first uh, sitting day. I haven't actually checked. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't was... caught up with Parliament. I know it was reported as such, but I thought yeah. they'd finished sitting for the year before. In no, fact, I think I they had the one sitting day. A anyway, yeah. The, because the new you know, parliament during, during the first week, we, we've got uh, we've got a new parliament. We have one uh, Greens member in the upper house. Samantha Ratnam has been returned, um, the leader of the Victorian Greens in the Legislative Council. Fiona Patton has been returned also in the Northern Metro Region. We have two Liberal Democratic Party uh, members elected in the upper house: Tim Quilty in uh, Northern Victoria, and David Limbrick in South East Metro, I believe. Um, and they are all, uh, all of those people are uh, proponents of significant drug law reform. So we have a, a, a more diverse group of mm, allies. That's three different political that's parties. Three. But they um, there's also, oh, now I've forgotten her name. I think it's Camille or maybe that's her last name. From the, the Darren Hinch Justice Cat Party? Catherine, Catherine Camille or something like yeah, that. Yeah. She was mm. formerly of the Darren Hinch Justice Party. I oh, believe right. she's been <laughs> disendorsed. Um, but she has spoken uh, in, to, to the media about supporting some of um, Fiona Patton's progress and initiatives in the parliament. So uh, I believe that we have five. That would make five uh, allies already in the Legislative Council. And there um, were, I think, just on the Hinch Party, because I think there were five of them all up elected, one's already dropped off. 
and we don't know much about the how the unity of this party works about what their sort of broader policies are and i have a feeling uh, that it might not be the last to to drop from the party over the over the parliamentary well, and term. we're yet to find out the the um the stance on some of the other legislative councils. There's also mm. an animal justice uh, party uh, member who yes. was elected. Um, uh, he was actually in the in these studios yeah, um, about right. two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> yep. And his name for is... freedom of species. Uh, he was he was in there for them. So you can listen back if you want to uh, get a. I think sense he's of interested in who, who he is in drug law reform issues as well. Yeah, well, I think you know that kind of ethics and justice approach. I would like to think would be amenable to um, supporting some drug law reform initiatives. So, you know, it's an interesting parliament kind of shaping up to, um, to, to potentially make some moves on these issues. We had Fiona introduce the, the cannabis bill and Samantha Ratnam uh, got up and spoke about pill testing. Um, so I think that the fact that... Um, you know, straight out the gate, we've already had some of these uh, returned members speaking about these issues, and we can look forward to the maiden speeches in Parliament of some of the other ones should highlight a, um, a, a kind of a broad coalition of, of different groups speaking about these issues. Yeah, I hope we get to see change in Victoria. But, you know, there's also the ACT. There's also um, moves going on in, in WA. I think there was something there's going a, on in WA. There's an inquiry happening right, currently. Yeah. Um, I, we, I actually recorded an interview with Stephen Bright uh, yesterday in the park, which we'll be hearing um, next year, um, speaking about some of that stuff that's happening in WA. The, the committee there that's uh, doing a, a similar inquiry to the one that happened here in Victoria, similar in terms of its uh, terms of reference, that's a broad coalition. I think there's five different parties sitting on that committee, so it covers the the range of politics there. So uh, we'll see that over 2019 as well. The the report will come out from that committee. So there are certainly things in motion uh, coming to the end of 2018. I think we can sort of be proud of some of the progress we've uh, kind of gotten in the movement with the injecting centre and the pill testing trial happening um, this year. And 2019 you know, is shaping up to be uh, kind of more of the same, I hope. This is East Bay Ray from Dead Kennedys. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Have an orgasm for Christ. Yeah, sorry, I saw that in the uh, in the thing and I just wanted to play that one. Uh, <laughs> it is in Psychedelia. Now, um, we've got just, just a little, little Christmas for you um, from Ash, a special gift from Ash. Uh, do you want to intro at all? Uh, well, I came across this one um, on um, one of our sister stations, uh, PBS, on one of their broadcasts for Christmas a few years back, and it was just the right kind of weird. So I thought that um, <laughs> we would play that on this. It's uh, from uh, Goodman and Buchanan uh, Centre and the Satellite, 1957 mm. radio break-in. Here is a news bulletin. Santa Claus has been kidnapped by spacemen from a flying saucer, which landed at the North Pole. Be on the lookout for Santa Claus. Last scene wearing... We take you now to the White House for an interview with the President. Mr. President, Mr. President. Mr. President, have you a word on the Santa Claus kidnapping? We have just received a report from the FBI. Santa has been taken to a satellite circling the Earth. We take you now to the satellite. This is John Cameron Cameron, downtown Sputnik. We are here in the Sputnik jail with Santa Claus. Wait, what's that sound? The satellite men are coming this way. Wow! 
I think the king of Sputnik is about to speak. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Santa, have you anything to say to the satellite men? Come on and do the jailhouse rock, it'll be Santa! 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 I know how you can escape. Disguised as Elvis Presley. Uh-oh, looks like we've been spotted. We return you now to Earth. We're now at the North Pole, where a rocket is being launched to catch the satellite and rescue Santa. Control tower to rocket. Prepare to blast off. Oh, let's go! Will the rocket be successful? Will Santa be rescued? Turn the record over and find out. The rocket sent to rescue Santa Claus has failed. With sadness, the president speaks. Holy mackerel! The Secretary of State has this statement. In London, at a meeting of Parliament... Your Majesty, have you a statement to make on this terrible tragedy? Goodness gracious! We take you now to Moscow. We're here with the Premier of Russia. Comrade, the rocket has failed. What do we do now? Come back tomorrow night and try it again! Here is a report from Tokyo. Uh, this is Radio Tokyo. The imperial government has this message. Ooh, la, la. Meanwhile, back on the satellite. <laughs> this is John Cameron Cameron, downtown Sputnik. The satellite men are closing in. We can hear them outside saying, It's me and or else I'll beat down your door. Santa has just escaped through the chimney, disguised as Elvis. We return you now to Earth. If you should look up at the sky this Christmas Eve and see a flying saucer pulling eight reindeer, chances are it's Santa Claus. Merry Christmas, Earth people. Don't sing me an anthem, cause you don't know the words. Words are hard to remember. When they mean nothing at all To the hearts who's still waiting For their voice to be heard Don't sing me your anthem When your anthem's absurd Every year 3CR marks Invasion Day with special programming that gives voice to the ongoing struggle for land justice in this country. Stood up for justice, stood up for truth, stood up for indigenous... Our shows cover the real history of Australia cross to local events and rallies around town and celebrate the survival and culture of Aboriginal people. One last step before we move up. Always was, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Abolish Australia Day. Tune into 3CR on Saturday, January 26 for coverage of the 2019 Invasion Day events and issues. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR, digital, 3cr.org.au. My name's Nick, sitting across from Ash Blackwell. Afternoon, folks. And today we are going, we're joined in the studio by Jenny Valentish, journalist and author of Woman of Substances and uh, one of the reference group team members for AOD Media Watch. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. Where do we want to start? Because we're going we're gonna to go through a whole bunch of uh, different topics here. Um, perhaps we can start at um, the book, 
yeah. woman of substance. Yeah, let's start with this book. Because is it a year and a half now? Yeah, it came out in uh, Australia and New Zealand last June, and then then I got a UK publisher who asked me to sort of rewrite it for the UK. So, um, it, well, you know, to, to account for their kind of drug, drug policy and the different drugs that are in circulation. Mm. So um, two very different books. Right, that's interesting. Now, is that a common thing that happens? Just sorry, I've, I've never really heard of that. Apart from, you know, changing the Philosopher's Stone to the Sorcerer's Stone <laughs> or whatever, because Americans don't know what philosophers are. I hadn't heard of it either, actually. I was, I was rather surprised and horrified. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I took out um, a lot of meth stuff. There was more coke and crack put in. Um, over there, the drug policies of recovery rather than harmonisation. So, um, yeah, quite a bit of work went into changing it. But it was interesting, you know, for me to get my head around the different different ways of thinking. I think it was about um, a year ago as well. I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was just before schoolies last year um, that I was sitting in the car um, listening to, I think it was Radio National actually, and you were on Radio National. Was there, because there was about six months of promo uh, following the book. Yeah, it was endless. It was mm. really um, exhausting, as you can imagine, because the book is half research about um, women and drug use, but it's also half memoir, I guess, so vignettes from a back catalogue. Um, the good thing being about the fact that it's only half memoirs you can pick and choose and leave the bits out that are going to be really embarrassing. Um, that, not, not to say there isn't embarrassing stuff in there, but it could have been worse. Um, so there was a lot of press, and of course the press all focused on the really personal stuff rather than the research, mm. um, which which was, yeah, batters you. And this is, um, we're still in the midst, I suppose, of uh, of there being a supposed ice crisis, ice epidemic. We're still setting, seeing headlines about that. Maybe not as many at the moment, um, although they do pop up. I don't know. What, what's your take? Are we still in the middle of the media's overblown? The epidemic. Yeah, ice yeah. epidemic, so-called. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, attention seems to have died off a little bit, doesn't it, since, I guess, last year. Although I have just done a piece for AOD Media Watch about... Uh, a Woman's Day story, which was about oh <laughs> these three female dealers in Wangaratta. And the language was hysterical. It was basically these three evil women using this evil drug have destroyed a town. And, you know, it talks about the townsfolk. I think Wangaratta, I can't remember the population now, but it's it's definitely in five figures. I think it's about 30,000 or something. Yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah, so it's this real us versus them, salacious, straight-to-video, telemovie script kind of story. Um, but it wasn't just Women's Day, like the Age and Herald Sun have reported on it fairly similarly because who can resist the opportunity to say ice queens? <laughs> but as I pointed out in the feature, um, in my response to their feature, uh, alcohol is a much bigger problem in Mangaratta and indeed everywhere. Mm. And that that is the um, the common theme. I still uh, remember there was a, a piece that came out of Ireland, and it must have been about ten years ago now. So it's, it's quite an old piece, but they were looking, or the researcher was looking at the um, moral hysteria um, around ecstasy, in particular, or MDM, MDMA. Mm. Uh, and and he did a, uh, a meta analysis of all the news that was out there to see how often things were reported on. And in terms of alcohol, it was something like one in one hundred 
incidents were ever reported on in any way, while every single incident that related to MDMA or ecstasy was reported on and reported on for, you know, a week, two weeks, mm. and it didn't leave the news cycle. Mm. Uh, and and I, I don't think anyone's done quite the same sort of thing in Australia, but AOD Media Watch uh, does focus a lot on uh, at least bringing these out and, and replying. Yeah. Do you remember, um, it was actually a UK show, but... A lot of people over here have seen it. It was called Brass Eye in the oh, 90s, yeah. and they did that sketch about cake. Yes. Cake being this invented drug um, that was... that They came up with all these ridiculous side effects, like it gives you Shatner's bassoon, which I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's your neck swelling up to five times its normal size. And they were saying, like, one woman even swallowed her pelvis, and then they got all these celebrities <laughs> like Rolf Harris to, to just... Who, who took their word for it, this... TV company uh, to talk about the horrors of cake and it just shows how quickly moral panic can spread and, and the people who are absolutely willing to do it it even went to parliament cake first appeared in Prague last year news reports showed victims insane with pain disturbing images like this and a knowledge of the drug routes in Europe led to the formation of Free the United Kingdom from drugs incorporating British opposition to metabolically bisturbile drugs their single aim to enlist the great and good. I'm Bernard Ingham, and this is a piece of cake. To warn Britain about cake. Okay, no. Before it was too late. This colour that they thought would be a good selling point is put in by using an industrial dye, which in itself is a pollutant and is causing in Czechoslovakia something called Czech neck. It causes enormous water retention so that the, the body swells up. The neck becomes about this wide and swells up to engulf the mouth and the nose so that the person who's on that trip dies through not being able to breathe at all. One young kiddie on Cape cried all the water out of his body. Just imagine how his mother felt. It has an active ingredient which is a dangerous psychoactive compound known as diamesmeric anison phosphate. It stimulates the part of the brain called Shatner's bassoon and that's the bit of the brain that deals with time perception. So, a second feels like a month. Well, almost sounds like fun. Unless you're the Prague schoolboy who walked out into the street straight in front of a tram. He thought he'd got a month to cross the street. entirely selfish because I thought I'm a journalist and I can exploit my position to answer the questions that have been you know bugging me for years like why do I keep making the same mistakes if you like over and over again or why am I so impulsive why do I just want to like press the red button all the time it gets me into trouble and it's usually you know involving drugs and alcohol um and then as I started working on this book and I thought other people would want to know these answers too. It became more and more gendered. I hadn't gone into it thinking, uh, you know, this is going to have feminist overtones or it's going to be pointing out the differences between the male and female experience. But the more people I talk to, as in researchers and neuroscientists and clinicians, the more gendered it became. So it was really interesting for me in that respect. And what were some of the experiences, especially with teenage uh, teenage girls that were that, that were shown up both in your personal experience and the research that are kind of different to, mm. to the experience of, you know, young boys and teenagers? Um, well, impulsivity, which we think of as a particularly male trait, just kind of expresses itself differently in girls, so it often gets missed. So um, 
in teenage boys, it might, you know, show itself in fighting, train surfing, graffiti, you know, that kind of showboating behaviour. With young girls, it's different. It tends to be more internalised in a way. So it can be things like theft, fraud, high-risk sex, but also um, drug use and smoking um, at an earlier age than boys. So there's quite a few studies that have shown that girls are more likely to get into that earlier um and also you know they've possibly got a history of uh trauma or 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 that kind of not feeling agency over their bodies anyway and i I do think that like self-harm or like an eating disorder substance use can be a way of self-harming and I think, that's and, and, and that's something that you cover in in the book, like with a bit of depth, is the crossover between eating disorders and other kinds of problematic behaviour and mm. substance use. Like the, the the substance use doesn't sit in isolation. Often there's these other oh, things. Oh, there's going almost on. always something comorbid. Yeah, whether it's a mental health issue, whether it's an eating disorder, uh, whether it's just sort of conventional self harm. Um, and the problem being. Um, if you have a severe eating disorder and you have uh, substance use that needs to be treated, you're probably going to fall between the cracks because you're not going to be able to find... You're going to have a hard time finding an eating disorder ward that will accept you if you're impaired or if you're withdrawing. And similarly, um, you know, your average detox or rehab can't look after someone who needs a feeding tube or, or that kind of supervision. So um, that's a really dangerous situation to be in and it... You know, our, our, our mental health system, including drug and alcohol services and eating disorder services, are so siloed that people um, do fall between the cracks all the time. It's a big problem. And we had a women and substance use special uh, on June 24th this year. You can find it at 3cr.org.au. It's episode 155. Here's a snippet. It becomes very entrenched that, obviously, you know, we do turn to um, ways of coping um with regulating our emotions that are you know that are chemically based it took a little bit for me to address my mental health so i'd gone into detox at age 17 and it wasn't until age 20 or uh around 2021 that i then engaged in mental health um services and addressing those mental health issues yeah i don't think that i really made that connection until until then at all. One of the other things that um, you cover a bit in, in the book and, um, and we've spoken about before with, with other guests talking about the, particularly the female experience um, of being in that environment of drug dependency is the relationship between younger women and older men, mm. um, which you both highlight as a thing but also point out through some of the research that isn't maybe as universal an experience as some people might perceive it well it was more that i found it really hard i couldn't find any studies or hardly any studies to that that supported the idea that older men are uh, a a route in for passive younger women um and that seems odd because you know anecdotally we've all heard stories about that all the time but i did find studies that um, suggested that there can the young women can take a quite active role into finding the older men, and I thought actually, yeah, that applies to me too because really older men were like brokers for drugs. Mm-hmm. So you know, nobody coerced me into taking drugs. Of course, you think uh, whether you're at school or 
beyond, you think, right, where am I going to get pop? Where am I going to get acid? Where am I going to get, you know, going up the scale? Um, and it's usually older guys. At least, you know, when you're in, in your teens, it is. And there's also the prestige, if somebody's a dealer, for instance, of, you know, sort of hanging out with them. So, um, so there, there is a route via older men, but it can often be a more active seeking out of those guys. I, I suppose that's sort of a reflection on how the the reality of the black market what what the reality of the black market is versus this perception that's constantly pushed um whether it's through news media whether it's through tv shows and, and tropes that we see about or oh, the you know the scary drug dealer because again that the the this this idea of a street drug dealer mm. is just nonsense to most people most people aren't buying um drugs from somebody off the street i mean you could probably drive down one one place in in Richmond and see maybe a bit of that, um, but for the you know the majority of people, which is thirty percent of Victorians who at least touch pot, if not something else, mm. it's people's bed oh, uh, lounge rooms and houses. Yeah, going to. and um, often teenage girls will take that role of getting the drugs for their friendship group because you know in general they're the ones who um bring shit together and um make sure everyone turns up at the festival and everyone's got the invite and <clears throat> so you know proc- procuring the uh, the ecstasy or whatever is you know part of that job increasingly now it's this- not seen as dealing no no exactly but um over in in new south wales um that uh, that that issue is being is having a, a light shone on it, um, although a light shone on it in a very dark kind of way. Instead of actually understanding the thing, it's like they're shining a light on a shadow and not trying to look. I, I've lost my metaphor. No, but I like it. <laughs> it's yeah. The the suggestion that's coming out of um, the Berejiklian government is to uh, is to is to put penalties onto those who are dealing to somebody else. Uh, who then, if a if a death or serious incident occurs, mm. but as you've just pointed out, that person is. Is usually a best friend of those people so now we're yeah. going to punish the best friends who are probably uh very very likely just as much in pain about oh, you know somebody's death like at uh, defcon uh recently where a young man died or uh what was the other festival recently um uh, midnight knockout or knock knockout festival knockout I think festival. It was. yeah yeah can't can't remember exactly but there, there's been a few um in in sydney and this is this is the suggestion to increase penalties mm. and to and to uh, throw more people uh, in jail, essentially. Yeah, and like I just said, though, they probably don't <clears throat> see themselves as dealing at all. That probably wouldn't even cross their mind. Um, and previously, you know, it could have been the other person who was supplying the drugs to to them. Exactly. So, what what do you think? Um, I mean, what do you what are your thoughts on on the uh, on what's been going on in New South Wales with this argument for pill testing, with the government constantly standing uh, against it, it's putting up these ideas of increasing penalties mm. of uh, of penalising the friends? Is it going to work? No, and it's so frustrating that you know the, the government's acting as though this. What else can you do? And everyone's going pill testing. But what's really um, heartening is there's been loads of public and, and famous support for pill testing in in the last month you know i can think of quite a few comedians people are coming out and saying this is ridiculous and we've got that groundswell now that 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 really you really need to facilitate change so i'm quite hopeful it's hard to not say something a little bit controversial but people are gonna try to take drugs into festivals anyway no matter what the legislation is it's just the nature of humanity and it's better if we actually test 
the drugs that they bring so that no one gets hurt or harmed. Of course, you know what I mean? Whatever saves more lives, but I would definitely like to see more sniffer dogs in Parliament. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think people are going to do it anyway. It's a much safer thing. All for pill testing. There's been too many dangerous pills at festivals and people getting scared and inducing them before they arrive. Well, it's better than dry, uh, having dogs there forcing everybody to consume their drugs in one go, isn't it? Uh, just a few voices that the Sydney Morning Herald picked up on at the ARIA Awards recently. Ash? You mentioned the, the women who um, maybe don't see themselves as dealers and, you know, the potential of... Um interacting with the, the law. There was an article that came out uh, on the ABC just a few days ago talking about the increase in the rate of women being incarcerated all around Australia. And um, let me just get the stat up. Uh, it's increased uh, by about 40% since 2013 and 56% since 2008, with Indigenous women accounting for much of that growth. And one of the factors highlighted in um, this article is that um, people who work in that space, particularly as counsellors um, and that sort of thing, estimate that between 70 and 90% of women who have been incarcerated, all women who have been incarcerated, have been physically, sexually or mm. emotionally abused as children or adults. Yeah. Um, did you get into the prison system and kind of look into that stuff in your research? I interviewed um, counsellors from Holyoke in Perth and some of them uh, are involved in the prison visit, so I didn't actually myself go to a prison. But they were saying, um, you know, between 75 and 99.9% of their clients have experienced sexual abuse, for instance. Uh, what was interesting is they also said um, often if there's um, a couple and they get raided, the women will take the rap um, and because they just feel that the, the bloke wouldn't be able to handle it and, and they could handle it better. Hmm. So I wasn't given much more information than that, apart from apparently it quite often happens. Yeah, right. That's disconcerting. <laughs> um, and, and what... So what does that say about what you kind of found out about the treatment sector and how it relates to women overall, how, how well it kind of services the needs that might be different from those of men? Well, we know that women have got more barriers to treatment, particularly if they've got kids. I mean, the idea of taking drugs, it's, it's a very sort of unnurturing, unmaternal one. Um, and, of course, there's a fear of having your kids taken away, particularly if there's that historic fear of your kids actually being taken away if you're Indigenous. Um, so what what happens is there's this phenomenon called telescoping, which is um, women women's symptoms appear to be way more dramatic than men's in a shorter period of time, but actually it might be because they've not been able to get any intervention along the way. Um, so, yeah, uh, I can think of famous cases like... Um, Adeline Yvette Rigney, Rigney who, um, who was murdered by her partner in Adelaide and all the headlines were, were focusing on her ice use. But, I mean, she would have found it really difficult to access treatment because she had two young kids. And so you end up in a situation where it becomes more and more dire um, and sometimes it can be too late. Is that because of, um, like, her concern about what would happen to her kids or because the barriers exist in the services themselves? Well, she was Aboriginal, so I would presume that there's this additional concern that, you know, historically our children have been taken away. Yeah. Um, and you're more likely to have your kids taken away now if you're Aboriginal and seeking treatment. Can you tell us a little bit about how 
how how that works, what the risk um, people have, especially women with children, have um, when trying to approach somewhere for uh, any kind of help or service. I, I mean, I know just in the recent discussions about the injecting room uh, down in uh, Richmond that uh, one of the one of the sort of conditions was that uh, pregnant women cannot attend, uh, even though there are pregnant women who are addicted to opiates mm. and they also need help just as much, if yeah. not more than anyone else, but it, was, it had to be stipulated yeah. uh, that way. Um, so it's different. it differs from state to state, um, but uh, I did talk to a few different services around the country and basically they were saying that they try and work with a client, so um, like they would encourage the client to report that there is um, drug use going on. Um, but it's it's a lot more collaborative than say in the UK where it's sort of mandatory for the service to say to report to social services that something's going on right so um, to the best of their ability over here they'll try and keep you with your kids okay well that's that's something but I imagine there's a lot of uh, discretion in the system which uh, will illuminate people's biases uh, if they happen to be somebody that that is feeling you know a little biased is that is that the case probably yeah, yeah. um but Seems I, to be the case I, I do think that people recognize that the fact that you take drugs doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad parent or that the child's in you know in harm so danger of harm so uh i i think we're doing better over here in australia than a lot of countries in that respect and um do you think there's like hope for a better trajectory right you've highlighted some of the problems that exist in the treatment sector we know that you know things like the the ice initiative money not all of that is going towards like stigmatizing campaigns some of it (laughs) is actually flowing through into better treatment services do Mm. you think that um do you think that it's something that governments and health services are aware of and and that there's hope that we can start to make some progress in terms of being better uh for for women or in general yeah. yeah um uh, I mean, there are never going to be enough beds for, for mums and kids, never. I mean, for instance, there's um, Kimira Farm in New South Wales where I think the New South Wales government paid for a facility with 21 beds but are only funding 11 beds. So <laughs> you get that kind of situation quite a lot. Um, I know the uh, Andrews government has pumped a lot of money into... Um, into rehabilitation, but I'm not sure how that breaks down into making sure there are gender-sensitive services, trauma-informed services, services just for women and kids. Um, possibly it's too early to know just yet. Could you tell us a little bit about... Because um, there is money being pumped into rehabilitation, but it's a it's an almost completely unregulated sector um, mm. where uh, lots of um, people can get into it for... Uh, whatever their their uh, motive happens to be. There's often a lot of um, sort of shady operators that just seem to have big profit margins on their mind. Oh, and a lot yeah. of religious organisations that have a sort of moral impediment or they think they do. Um, yeah, what, what how, how does the rehab sector look, especially for women who might be more prone to um, the moralists? Yeah, well, increasingly um, you have you have things like... Um, Real Drug Talk, which is run by uh, Jack Nagel, who used to... Well, he used to um, smoke a lot of ice, but he, he also used to work in a private rehab and was quite disgusted, you know, what he saw of people's money being frittered. So he's started this online course and coaching service, and you get these 
online interventions a lot more and they, they really attract women who either feel like maybe they'd be unsafe going to mixed groups or uh, don't feel that they can be seen to be seeking help. So you've got this kind of whole uh, model or you know um, paradigm rising up that's filling this gap and um, a, a lot of it is early intervention, like it's better suited to women who are sort of on you know, sinking a bottle of wine a night and are quite worried. But some of it, like real drug talk, is, is aimed at more sort of severe behaviour. And I think um, increasingly we'll move away from people just designing these online courses that are based on their personal theories. And you'll get more and more evidence-based research creeping in there, like Hello Sunday Morning's Daybreak app um, is, is, you know... D designed by psychologists and people like that so I think that's going to be a really interesting space to watch and I've got an article coming out about that uh, in a few weeks the ABC excellent we'll keep an eye out for it thank you share it when it when it's uh, when it's available so touching on um, the other articles that you've been writing particularly since the the book came out you've had a bit of a focus on the psychedelic space a recent article in the australian financial review delved right into the world of um microdosing for yeah. example mixed messages hey <laughs> yeah so um what kind of led you in that direction um well the book just for a second um even though it does have my story in it it's definitely not an abstinence-based book where i'm i mean that's an option but i'm saying there are other options too it's got a real harm minimization slant um and I, I, I believe that people tend to get addicted because of, you know, the biopsychosocial factors. So a lot of it could be psychological and environment. And so if those things um, improve, then some people are able to moderate their use later. Some people aren't. <coughs> Which brings me to then um, being very interested in psychedelics and um, seeing the benefits that they have, um, even in treating addiction, actually. And it's quite interesting that Bill W., who is one of the founders, Bill Wilson, was one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was super interested in LSD um, in the 50s. He was taking it, and he thought it, it would be great for you know people who have alcohol dependence issues. I just find it a really fascinating space to write about because I've always, you know, since ever since reading Alice in Wonderland as a kid and, and having this concept of eat me, drink me, and you change, and you can have these altered states, I've just found that intriguing and and so you should you know because it's it's um part of the human experience uh but also you know writing about anything that's considered to be on the fringes is great for for editors and great for readers it's real water cooler stuff so yes the 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 story for the afr was um quite a long story about microdosing and and people who are, who are using it for work performance which I find really interesting. I'm just reading a story, having a look at the Real Drug Talk website and there's some interesting stories on there. This one's uh, for anybody that wants to go, uh, realdrugtalk.com.au uh, and I'm looking at a mother's perspective, Carol's story and uh, mother talking about her daughter who started uh, drinking a lot escalated and then she sort of disappeared. What, what can people do especially parents or friends um, if somebody is um, especially a uh, teenager or you know 20 something mm. uh, and they're they're just they're pulling away from social engagement from family engagement um what, what can people do to try and connect i'm always really stumped at this because i think every situation is completely different um sometimes there's a lot of un unresolved issues there sometimes there isn't um i think being consistent 
is is important and but at the same time you do need to observe your own boundaries um honestly i i always advise people to seek professional help rather than ask me i do get a lot of um messages from people um whether it be family members or, or people who are struggling and i can totally relate but i just can't give advice because i'm not qualified if anything in this conversation has uh, brought up anything for you and you want to find somebody to talk about, Direct Line is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's free, it's confidential, and they'll be able to uh, help you or point you in the right direction. The phone number is 1-800-888-236. That's 1-800-888-236. You're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Um, I can completely relate to your reluctance to give advice to people experiencing difficulties, but I think you're more than qualified to offer advice to our policymakers. So what, um, what advice would you give to, you know, there's a lot of inquiries going around, uh, going on at the moment. WA has a inquiry into drug use right now. Victoria had a recent one and may still implement some changes. So what advice would you give to our policymakers? Um, to listen to the people at the coalface, to listen to the people who are who are working, um, you know, at drug and alcohol treatment centres, at festivals, um, the, the people who are, who are actually there getting their hands dirty. Psychedelia on 3CR. And you just heard uh, the voice of Jenny Valentish, author and uh, journalist. And I'm sitting here in the studio with 15 minutes uh, left until 3 o'clock and querying the air, sitting across uh, from Ash Blackwell. Uh, Ash, we've got 15 minutes. Um, we've got a couple of uh, snippets from our new um, parliamentarians. Um, but uh, with it being the end of the year, maybe we can just um, go go over a quick, quick wrap of, of things that have happened. Um, oh my over, goodness. It, or is that too, too it, much for you? No, no, no. It's, I'm, I'm just looking, <laughs> you know, looking across at Nick, just thinking, man, wow, so much happened this year. I, I'm not even sure I can tease apart what when, happened when this year and start? what happened last year. We had, oh, I mean, Rainbow Serpent Festival is like the start of the year because it's Australia, Australia Day weekend. Uh, it's com- coming up again, Australia Day weekend. For anyone that's listening and is going along, um, we will have, we'll, we'll, we'll be doing the radio show live and i'm putting that in quotation marks because it's not really live on the radio we're just recording it live and we're not like editing or anything but we might edit it later anyway we're going to record it live uh in the lifestyle area there uh and we're going to be uh talking on the theme of festivals and um and the 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 culture wars in australia uh and uh on the past two episodes uh we had we caught up with uh robbie swan who is fiona Patton's partner also a um a writer and uh he's been part of australia's counterculture for uh, a little while now. I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I outed his age on there, but he's he was around in the early seventies when um, when um, the counterculture festival sort of really kicked off, and and now they're at a at a certain kind of peak, um, and we're seeing the attacks like uh, uh, Berejiklian, Berej- New South Wales um, government uh, attacking those festivals. There was uh, an announcement. In fact, was it the start of this year from the Victorian government? Um, actually, it wasn't an announcement. Um, it was a um, an exclusive with um, Lisa Neville, 
the uh, police minister, uh, an exclusive interview with her and the Herald Sun crime reporter. And uh, at that time, she was saying that there were moves to introduce legislation which would um, do similar things to what um, the Berejiklian government is, is trying to do, make it almost impossible for festivals to even get their uh, permits and make it really easy for police to say, no, we feel a little bit concerned. Oh, based on what, officer? Based on our feelings. So we're going to shut down your festival. Um, So they don't actually have to provide evidence. You know, these festivals spend tens of thousands of dollars putting together in-depth documents on emergency management, uh, whether that's their fire uh, fire plans, their health management plans, uh, their evacuation plans. Like, they have to have all of this stuff. This is part of the permitting process and it's very expensive. And then uh, for the police to have the ability uh, to just go, no, nah, we don't like it and not point to anything, uh, any evidence um, is is pretty shocking. So I think that was, I mean, that's really set. It's ended the year for me and it's going to start my new year. Um, but that's, well, I that's think, one highlight. I think for me, like that, that has been a bit of a theme throughout the year. We've caught up regularly with um, uh, David Shoebridge, member of the Legislative Council in New South Wales, uh, Greens MLC about these kinds of issues and some of the legal cases that have sprung from it. Um, And just this Friday, uh, there was a press release uh, from a new group called the, uh, let me get it right, the Australian Festival Association, which is a um, new organisation that started from various different um, big name festivals that are basically started up to provide a united front against this attack. It's, It's their events and our culture festival that are, um, industry group yep yeah essentially yeah we i know that several people um, including myself and nick have tried to kind of get something like this happening in the past so it's fantastic it's to def- see that definitely it's needed and included in their mission is to um talk about things like drug policy and pill testing as part of an all-encompassing approach to safety so that they can help make their events and help make other people's events um, safer in a comprehensive evidence-based way that actually respects the unique culture of these kinds of events. One thing I noticed um, looking at the announcement of that was that to apply to be part of the uh, organisation, you had to be a, a well, have held a, a music festival for three years in a row, which I think is fair enough. You need to show that you're, you're doing it over and over. Um, but you also had to be, um, you had to hold a liquor licence um, to be able to do that. And that was one of their, their conditions. And I thought that that was a little bit strange because I know that the liquor, like liquor, liquor licensing in Australia, has a a big say on drug policy, from what I understand. And a lot of these discussions are behind closed doors, so we don't actually get to confirm this as much. But I know that at the liquor licensing forums across uh, Victoria, uh, a lot of drug policy gets discussed. I've read submissions to government from liquor license holders who straight up admit that they consider drugs and drug taking to be a competitive product. They're not worried as much about the uh, uh, you know the harms of the drug itself or educating on the drug or blah 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 they say well that one's prohibited and also it's competition to my sale of alcohol uh, and that's what I'm worried about and look from a from a you know if you want to go the capitalist business perspective you can sort of understand like well you know they're looking to to maximize their profit margins and all of that sort of thing I, I just get worried that we get lost in a discussion on what the actual harms are of substances and how to appropriately appropriately regulate when essentially what's a competitive market gets to define how other markets should work which is the alcohol market so I don't know um, but that but that might have there might be a very good reason for that as well so 
Well, we look forward to catching up with um, some of the people from that new, newly formed group in the new year. Um, like coming up early in, in 2019, we'll be catching up with Students for Sensible Drug Policy about a big campaign that they're going to be launching. And uh, obviously with these new members that we've mentioned of the, the, the new, is it the 57th, 58th Parliament? Mm-hmm. I have been keeping count. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yep. Uh, and we're going to hear <laughs> a, a snippet now from one of the re-elected members. Yeah, this is a snippet from Samantha Ratnam, uh, who is the now the only Greens member in the Legislative Council in the Upper House. Uh, she is the leader of the Greens in Victoria, um, but also uh, the Greens in Victoria, strong supporters for, for drug law reform. And that was exactly uh, what Samantha brought up. Uh, the commitment to harm reduction requires that we do more now. Young people's lives are at stake and are at absolute risk in the immediate future. I note that this government has previously been willing to change its mind on drug law and uh, and policy in light of evidence and expert opinion. The Premier has repeatedly embraced the supervised injecting centre as a sensible approach to drug policy, saying to stubbornly continue with a policy that's just not working, then that's the wrong thing to do uh, when there is an alternative, one that can save lives. And that's his quote. Minister, will the government take its own advice on drug policy in relation to its continued opposition to pill testing? Minister. Uh, thank you. And, and I, I thank the member for her supplementary question. Effectively, she's reiterated in your supplementary question her substantive question and expressing her view uh, in relation to this matter. I've already indicated to the House the government's um, uh, policy uh, in relation to this um, and, and that our, our position hasn't changed in relation to this matter and that we are guided by the expert advice of Victoria Police. Um, and that is um, Jenny Makakos uh, at the end speaking there on behalf of the uh, the Labor Party but um, sort of reiterating some things that we're not sure um, that she should be able to keep reiterating after she has been informed uh, of, rebutted to those points by people with a lot more evidence than she has. Um, you know, it's just frustrating when you hear them say it over and over. It's like, you, you, have, you have heard otherwise. And, of course, another member, um, Fiona Patton, who was speaking with uh, Seven News in Sydney uh, about her desire to change cannabis laws to legalise cannabis. Now, where a new fight is kicking off this evening to legalise marijuana. The woman leading the charge tonight is State Independent MP Fiona Patton, and she's certainly someone who has developed a reputation for getting things done, and Fiona joins me live from Melbourne now. Uh, Fiona, good evening. Number one, do you believe you're going to make this happen? But, but why? Why do you want to legalise marijuana? What's the driving force? Look, I think there's a, there's a number of issues, but, but one is, at the moment... Um, the, what we're doing now doesn't work. It doesn't stop people using cannabis, but what it does do is it, it lines the coffers and lines the pockets of criminals. So what I would like to do is get cannabis out of the hands of criminals and out of the hands of young people and children in particular. And we've seen this successfully happen in numerous jurisdictions overseas and most recently Canada. Is the risk worth the reward though, Fiona? Look, we know that prohibition has never stopped anyone from using cannabis. Uh, We know that in Victoria alone, the police report that the cannabis industry is worth over $1.1 billion. So whatever we're doing now is not working. And I think it's now to look at the evidence and look at what other jurisdictions are doing successfully, uh, which is legalising, regulating, controlling the market so that we can provide education, we can tax it, 
we can ensure that it's only adults who have access to this to this substance and what we've seen in other jurisdictions is not only that but it brings in hundreds of millions of dollars out of the criminals hands and into the ta into the government's hands where we can provide education yeah, but Fiona treatment. you're endorsing drugs you're um, saying that drugs are okay you're saying that drugs are fine and if you read some of the I did a quick print off this evening before we got on air the positive mm. choices website which is a fact sheet for teachers in schools now it certainly says that you know one in seven students between the ages of 12 and 17 are using cannabis but look at the look at the side effects anxiety and panic attacks paranoia psychosis. if you have mental health issues and that's such an extraordinary issue now do not go near mm. marijuana by advocating it by making it legal mm. aren't you saying it's mm. okay to take the drugs I think what I'm trying to say is these people are already using the drug and we need mm. to provide a way to I'll, I'll finish it there because I think that is the crux of that point. Whenever somebody brings it up, it's like, sorry, are you blind? People don't need my permission. Like, first of all, they're strangers to me. Second of all, they're already doing it. Like, this idea that we can't talk about this topic, that we can't even mention it in any kind of light, and we can't talk about alternative policies because it could be seen as encouraging drug use. Uh, and interesting that a guy in the media says that because, as uh, I've mentioned before, one of the things in broadcasting law is you're not, you're not allowed to talk about uh, or glamorise drug use. So again, neither condone nor condemn the use of drugs on this show. We're just trying to talk about what actually happens. And that's what Fiona was addressing there, I think. Yeah. And what actually happens is that people make their own choices. And um, what some conservative television broadcaster has to say about it is generally quite meaningless to a teenager or young adult. And that's something that we really want to get through, get past uh, and, and stop that part of the conversation, stopping the conversation where we get uh, people. And, and it happens, you know, even the politicians are still saying, oh, but the kids just aren't getting the message. I think there was a uh, front page article after the uh, after the DEFCON death or one, uh, the, the, the previous event, the, the other event um, that was saying, oh, they're just not getting the message. And people thought, oh, yes, the politicians aren't getting the message that we need pill testing. But no, the newspaper was saying that kids aren't getting the message or, or people who take drugs aren't getting the message to not take drugs. The point is that it's not up to you or not up to the, the people who think that they can prescribe behaviour to other people to do that. It's up... Uh, it's provide the options, provide the education, provide all of that sort of stuff. That's all okay. Um, but when you go telling people what to do and then they do something different and you say, well, you deserve every single consequence and, in fact, I'm going to make more consequences for you, you're kind of just an asshole. <laughs> that's that's my now i'm done <laughs> Is that, you're, you're, you're done well um so we we did actually record a second part to that interview with jenny valentish we flipped the script and she's going to interview us we'll be broadcasting that next week and up next is queering the air thanks uh and now now this can finish uh enjoy the rest of your sunday afternoon have a merry christmas and um yeah we'll see you next week this is in psychedelia Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, 
DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia Live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.